Happy St. Patrick's Day weekend. I love the fact that our church, St. Patrick's Day, has always been historically a low attendance day for us. Not saying anything, <clears throat> just saying. Uh, so, it's a fun weekend. Um, well, we're actually kind of uh, coming toward uh, the end of our, our series here called Weird Stuff Christians Believe. Um, Oh, it just jumped right into the scripture. Awesome. That's because I didn't set it up right. Cool. Anyways, uh, we're a little machine around here as always. Um, we're coming to the end of this series, and I bring that up for a couple reasons. One is uh, next week we're going to be doing kind of the final conclusion message to this series. Um, and uh, we're going to do that in a very specific way. We're going to open it up to you guys to ask questions. Specifically, I mean, really, honestly, we covered... <laughs> In this series, Genesis to Revelation. We did a very high pass overview, certainly, but uh, we covered everything from who, who is God to how, what is creation, where does man fit in that creation, how does uh, man interact and communicate and, uh, and, and really experience God, what is the means of that. Uh, we talked about the covenants that God made. We t- we've talked about Jesus coming in his incarnation. We've talked about the kingdom and the church. We've and then last week, we kind of was our first week where we, we kind of got off the narrative of Scripture and covered uh, the broad uh, topic of worship and, and kind of idolatry at the same time. So um, we're going to take some time next week. I'm going to do, it'll be a miracle. You can advertise this. Uh, we're going to do like an 8 to 12 minute complete overview of the whole series. How many people think I can do it? I don't. Um, but we're going to. We're going to somehow pull that off. And, uh, and then we're going to just open it up for you guys to text or, or email in your questions. Uh, you can start doing that now if you know them. You can email those to curious at sozospokane.org um, or just uh, message them to us on Facebook. And uh, we'll compile those and we'll jump right in. Great week to bring people who maybe have questions about, uh, about Christianity and Jesus and church and all that good stuff. So, uh, but the second reason I bring it up is because I want to make sure that we understand something. And let me just make this statement. That doctrine is intended to lead to delight, not despair. That learning about doctrine, the the reason why God designed, I believe, uh, the way that we learn about him is specifically so that as we learn about him, our passion and desire and, and, and satisfaction in him, our, our joy in him, our, our peace in him grow as we learn about him. We, he becomes more attractive, come on somebody, the more we learn about him. We're drawn near to him through the means of our intellect. And so I, I say that to say this, I believe firmly that biblical thinking is right thinking. That if we're going to think about something in the most right way, it should be the way the Bible teaches us to think about it. And right thinking leads to right feeling. So if you struggle with, with, with emotional dis, being disattached emotionally from God, the answer is not crank worship up louder and hum to yourself. An emotional experience is not the answer to your emotional detachment from Jesus. The answer is to learn more about him. And he becomes more attractive. My hope in the midst of this series has been that our faith has deepened and therefore our attraction to Jesus has strengthened. I hope you haven't been despairing as we've looked at basic doctrine. Hello, somebody. We gave it a cool name, but let's be real. You just took the class that I taught 
to all of my interns. And it was called Basic Doctrine. <laughs> didn't have a cool name. We gave it a cool name for this. It didn't have that before. It's the same notes. It's great. So um, well, here's this morning, we're going to deal with another big, broad topic. So I'm going to have us read some verses, and then we're going to jump in and uh, look at this topic as a whole. If, this, if you're one of those people that love Jesus and love the Bible, you're going to be super happy this morning. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. If I was a youth pastor, I'd have you all say work it, but I'm not, so... You're spared. Psalm uh, 89, 11 says, the heavens are yours. Who's, who's the psalmist talking about here? God, Jesus, okay? The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that, it, that is in it. You founded them. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 13. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have been faithful in that which is, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Device here just had fun. Second uh, Corinthians. <laughs> this is going to work, I promise. Second Corinthians eight one through five. Uh, This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says this. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as, an, as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let's pray together and then we're going to jump in. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts this morning to hear from you. God, I pray that you would anoint our ears to, re- to, to hear your word, your, our hearts to receive your word. God, we know that as we come before you, we, we are desperate and long for you to speak to us. And God, we know that nothing we can do can make you speak to us, so we come to you and we just ask. We simply ask for the grace to hear you. God, come and deliver your word to us. Let us be hearers of it. Let us be receivers of it. God, let us be doers of it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Okay, so um, here we go. Doctrinal statement. As Christians, we believe that God, as creator and redeemer of all things, is the rightful and gracious owner of all things, and that he has chosen to graciously entrust the care of his creation to mankind. Can I get an amen? 
Okay, we believe that God owns everything. Okay, there's nothing that God doesn't own. You say, well, that's not fair. I, I, I own some stuff. Yes, but he made the stuff that you own, so he owned it before you owned it. Okay, he owns all things. Not only does he own it because he's the creator, specifically I chose this wording because I want us to understand that he doubly owns everything. He made everything and he redeemed everything. And yet he has still chosen to graciously entrust the care and management of his creation to mankind. Big theological word here, big doctrine word here, stewardship. I want to talk specifically, though, I have a secondary doctrinal statement because I feel like it's important. Um, whoop, there we go. As Christians, we said we believe that God owns everything. He's entrusted it to us. Well, as Christians, we believe that God calls us as his sons to honor him in the way that we steward over his investment. So we are going to talk about stewardship this morning. Everyone get excited. Yay. Okay. So let me say a few things before we jump in. Here's my goal this morning. I wish that I could just go out to coffee with you and we could just talk about this because this is, a, this is one of those hot button topics for a lot of people. Because if you've hung around the church at all, you know that stewardship usually in church settings goes straight for money, right? I mean, it goes right to money. That's, that's right where it goes. Well, let me say this before we start talking about stuff. Stewardship is about so much more than money. Stewardship is about a, a, a ton more than just your finances, okay? And when we, when we boil stewardship down and focus it just on finances, it loses the richness and the picture that's supposed to be there. Stewardship is about managing everything that God has given us and honoring God with everything he has given us. Three primary areas, we, we talk about this a lot here, so this isn't new for y'all. Three main areas that he invests in us, you can kind of use these to categorize the investment God's made you, time, talent, and treasure. We didn't come up with this, I stole it from somebody, I don't know who. Time, talent, and treasure. God has invested in you time. You are sucking air, you live, you have time, amen? Talent, you have abilities and gifts. You have things you're good at doing. And then you have treasure, you have money. These are the three primary areas. Now, here's the tension to this, okay? Stewardship, it's not just about money. Amen? It's about much more than money. Now, that church is just after my money. So is this just after my money. No, we're about so much, we want so much more than just all of your money. <laughs> I love you. Not just about money. Stewardship is about money. It's not just about money, but it is about money. Say, hey, 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 look, I came to church. Don't talk about my money. This is, this is my spiritual time. You don't talk about my money. Okay, let's have some fun with that then. Bible facts. There are 800 verses that talk about money in the Bible. Well, those are all in the Old Testament. No, 800 in both the Old and the New. But if you want to have that argument, let's go to the next one. There are 28 passages in the gospel alone that deal with money. That comprises 25% of everything Jesus said had to do with resources or finances. We've been kicking as a church for almost two years. It's the first message I think I've ever done specifically on finances. So don't even be, give me a hard time. I, I have the right to talk 25% of the time about money, okay? This is not conducive to church growth in America because we're sinners. 
Okay, so I just want to be clear about this, that, that this is a biblical thing to talk about. We jive in together. Again, what I want to try to do this morning, though, is, is get away from the preachy thing as much as I can and just talk to you. Can we do that this morning? Can we just kind of all take a deep breath and just talk a little bit? So stewardship, we talked about this. It's about much more than just your money. It's about the management of time, talent, and treasure, how you steward over those. We're called, we, we've been given the gift as mankind of, of honoring God, of stewarding God's creation. As believers, we need to be even more in line with the understanding that everything that we do in managing time, talent, and treasure should be done in a way that honors and uplifts God. Like we talked about last week with worship, worship is about more than just singing songs in church. It's about the way we live our life. Stewardship is about more than just the money you put in the bucket. It's about the way you live your life. Stewardship and worship are more connected than we realize. So let's jump in here. I just want to make some statements. Hopefully you all have a cup of coffee because I do. I brought the little stool out so I could sit down and not intimidate you. See how good I am? I'm a professional. Um, <laughs> stewardship. Here we go. Um, first principle I want you to understand about stewardship. This is just me talking to you as your pastor, Okay. God does not need your money. Okay? God, does, God is not up in heaven going like, man, I really, really would like to do some stuff, but we're broke. So I got to beg some people that have money to give me money so that I can do some stuff. God does not need your money. Everybody say amen. God doesn't need your money. I told you we're going to look at some Bible verses today. Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 through 12. It says, for every beast of the field is mine. This is Jesus talking. This is God talking. Every beast of the field is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all that, move, all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Are you getting the picture here? It's not about God needing. When we talk about stewardship, it's not about a need that God has. It's about a need that we have. Are you hearing me? This is me trying not to preach. Stewardship and giving is not about God's need. It's about our need. There is a need within us. So we need to understand this. God is a loving and gracious God. Amen? Say that again. God is a loving and gracious God. If we don't have that as our first foundational understanding of God, then all of this is going to come turn into manipulation. All of this is going to turn into guilt. All of this is going to, to slowly degrade into something negative and bad and wrong. When God is, is, is presented as not gracious and not loving and needy, and that's the way we try to get your money that's a bad thing, okay? Big thing, understand first. God doesn't need your money. He's loving and gracious and has everything. He owns all of it. Everything is God's. Second thing I want us to understand, money and how we handle it. Again, stewardship's not all about money, but stewardship is about money. How we handle our money, how we, how we go about investing our money, how we go about spending our money is a great indicator of where our heart is.
Anybody will tell you this is not a Christian thing. Any financial advisor will tell you if you let somebody look at your checkbook registry, does anybody even still have one of those? Your, your bank account transactions, if you let somebody look at what you spend your money on, they can tell you what you're passionate about. Now, that's, a, that's just a flat-out normal, anybody can tell you that, any investor can tell you that, any, any financial advisor can tell you those things. Where you spend your money is an indicator of where your passions are. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus actually didn't say that. He said something far deeper than that, and I think this is pretty awesome. This is Matthew this is Matthew. There we go. Matthew uh, 6.21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, you can interpret that as what I just said. Show me your checkbook. I'll show you where your passions are. But that's not what Jesus said. Did you read what Jesus said? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be which means that there is a principle beyond just show me your checkbook registry. There's a principle that says you can lead your heart into passions by investing your money there. Did you catch that? I don't know about you, but that kind of amazes me. That kind of shocks me that God has given us an ability. Now, parents get this. We understand this because if our kids want something and we give it to them, they break it. Right? They, they, they usually don't just break it. They usually do a thorough job of destroying it. But as, as we get older, as our kids get older, and they begin to purchase things on their own, suddenly those things get cared for. Why? Because where their treasure is, there their heart will be. But I don't think that's just what Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus is going beyond that and giving us a, a tool, giving us an a indicator, giving us a, a leading that if you've got an idolatry problem in the way you spend your money, shifting where you spend your money can lead your heart away from that. We talked last week, I handed out a, a little worksheet for us to, to try to find and, and dig into the idolatry that's in our heart. If you've worked through that or you start working through that and you begin to discover some of these things and you're wondering, how do I get out of these things? Yes, confession. Yes, prayer. Yes, accountability with other believers. But there's also a gift that the Lord has given us in understanding that we can direct our heart with our finances. I think the reason for this, this is just my opinion, you, use, you, you take your time and use your talents to make your treasure. You, you go to work, for all of you single people, you go to work, okay, you get a job, you go to work, you invest your time there, right? We all together on this? You use your talents to some degree or another, maybe it's not all of them, maybe not, it's, it's not your dream job, but it's the skills you have, both given and developed, and they give you money for it. This is the way jobs work. Hopefully this is, the, some of you are looking at me like, really? Yeah, this is the way jobs work. And we are given treasure for them. So in a sense, as we invest our treasure, we are demonstrating that what we did with our time and what we did with our talents ultimately is still given back to God. We jiving together on this? Okay, I gotta move quick here. So then in our stewardship of what we are given and what has been invested into us, so the next thing I want us to understand, we're called to be gracious because Jesus is gracious. We're called to be generous because Jesus has called us to be generous because Jesus is generous. Grace is an interesting thing. When we give grace, unlike other things, as we give grace, 
grace increases. You ever notice that? You're gracious to someone, and what are they? They're gracious back. But they're not just gracious back to you. They're gracious with other people as well. Grace increases as it is given. It doesn't decrease. It's not like, well, I gave grace, and now I have less grace to give. As we pour out, the Bible says that where, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Grace has this exponential factor to it. It grows as it exists. There's more grace than there was before. And so we're called to give in grace. We're called to be generous because of grace, because God is a loving and gracious God. Can I get a good amen on that one? So here's where I want to get the rubber to meet the road here a little bit. We talked last week about worship, right? I'm trying to parallel these a little bit because they are so connected. We talked about worship as our entire lives, right? And we talked about how in church, it is a great place to learn how to worship. We practice worship in church. Jesus didn't say we're not actually worshiping, but in the midst of worship, we are, we're practicing it. We're learning the skill of worshiping, Amen. We're learning how to honor God. We, we, we practiced it. We demonstrated it by singing to Jesus, singing to him, declaring about him, and we practice worship. And then we go and we do it in our daily lives. Amen? Can I say that giving and being generous and being gracious should be the same way? Here's what I mean. The church is a good place to learn how to be generous. The church is a good place to learn how to give. The church is a good place to learn how to overcome the idolatry, hello somebody, of our money. Jesus said it clearly. We read it earlier. You can't serve your money and serve Jesus. Talk about my money. Well, the Bible does, so I get to. You can't serve both of them. So the church, I want to kind of get this into as practical of a realm as I can. The church is a good place for us to learn how to give. And regular giving at your local church is right and good. There's kind of this idea in the modern thinking that somehow giving on a regular basis isn't as spiritual as just giving when I feel like it. Or that I can just kind of give wherever I want. I get this one a lot. Well, I can just kind of, you know, I give, but I give where I want to, and it doesn't really matter, and that's fine. Well, there's a whole host of reasons I could go into about this, but I want to just stick with the biblical one. So let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verse 6. says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Big picture here. I don't have time to chew through this whole, this whole passage. I wish I did. Maybe someday we will. But today I don't have time to really chew through it. If you look at what he's saying here, it's this. It's the same principle that Jesus talked about. Where your treasure is, your heart's going to go there. 
you sow toward the place where you're taught, suddenly life comes from you. Now, now, bunch of dumb preachers on TV with wives who look like they lost paintball wars on their faces try to use this one to manipulate you to give. So that way, you know, if you give, you'll get. That's not what this, did you catch that's not what this means at all? I have to go back to it. I told you I wasn't going to preach it. Let the one, so, so do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He's talking about giving practical things. Now, again, understand contextually at this day, there was money. That was one form of currency, right? Amen? We understand there was money back then. But there was also just practical goods. And those things were given as well, so that's why Paul doesn't use the term specifically money here. But he's talking about practical good things. If you're taught spiritually, it's right for you to give financially to that place where you're taught spiritually. Because as you give, you reap eternal life. You reap spiritual growth as you start giving. I can attest to this. Just This is me just being honest and transparent. I was raised up in a home that did not believe in giving. My, my family, we just didn't believe in it. My parents had been, because my parents had uh, fallen into the stupid trap of give to get, the not a real prosperity gospel. <laughs> you ever notice that all the people that are into the prosperity gospel are poor? Just a side note. Um, the prosperity gospel isn't a gospel. My parents had fallen into that, so they knee-jerked and just hoarded all their money. And I was raised up into that. And I can tell you that there is a limit that happens in spiritual growth when we hoard all of our finances. I got the good excuse of, well, I don't have a lot, so I don't have to give anything. We're going to get to that in a second. But what Paul here is saying is, look, don't be deceived. There is a, there, there's a practical realm to this. We understand that. There's a practical side to it. But there's also a spiritual side. And he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't let yourself think that I'm just talking to you about something practical. There is something spiritual, a spiritual dynamic that goes out on here. There's a spiritual level at play here that happens as we give financially, we reap something spiritual. Don't be deceived and don't grow weary in well-doing. This is that whole side of regular giving is right and good. Amen? Well, I gave one time and so I'm good now. That's not what Paul's talking about. Don't grow weary. It's easy to grow weary. I got to hurry up. I'm sorry. Um, so it's right and good for us to give to the place that we call our church. Where you're fed spiritually, that's where you should give. Amen? Let me push you a little bit harder. Can I do this? Do you still love me? It is also right and good to determine beforehand the percentage of your income that you are going to invest into your local church. I thought we don't believe in tithe. I do not teach that the tithe is a new covenant principle. I'm not going back on that. Okay? Let me just, real fast, I just want to educate you. Tithe is, is, a, is a term that literally just translates into 10%. So this, the idea of a tithe is the idea that you are required by God to give 10%. And we talk about, well, that was old covenant. I don't have to do that anymore. Two things I want to point out. First, is the old covenant better or worse than the new covenant? 
This is awesome. Okay, great. Just stumbled into a pile here. Awesome. So the old covenant was all external. The new covenant is all internal. We understand this? I'll write my law on your hearts, the prophets say. In the new covenant, it's all about what God is doing in us. We're going to, by the way, side note, going to kind of be one of the next series we do is going to be all about this dynamic of inside, outside. It's going to be awesome. It's just a preview. So we, we understand that, that if, if the old covenant was external and the new covenant changes our hearts, if the old covenant was something we followed just because it was on the outside, how much more ought the new covenant cause us to be more gracious? But I also want to point out something else. There's this idea that the old covenant required 10%. That's not true. The old covenant actually required of a normal family 25 to 30% of their income to be given away. I gave you references because I knew you're going to argue with me. Um, 10%, that's the tithe, was given for festivals that built community and celebrated God. This was the, the big festivals that were celebrated in the Old Testament. These are them. 3.3% was to be given to the poor, specifically just given away to the poor. On top of that, if you grew crops, you were, weren't supposed to uh, reap all of your own crops. Do you realize that? You were supposed to leave the corners so that poor people, this was welfare in, in the nation of Israel, they were, they were there, they would go out and they could reap those crops. Those were for them, for either the, the, the poor or aliens in that time. The Bible believes in aliens. Um, and then there were also additional tithes that we see, and I just grabbed one reference here, but there were more times where, where the leadership of Israel, both the spiritual and the national leadership of Israel, would call for extra 10% to be given on top of this at random times. So my point is, we don't, I'm not up here preaching, you have to give 10%. Now let me just, <laughs> I love you so much. Let me just uh, be practical with this though as well and be biblical all at the same time. Can we do that? 1 Corinthians 16, 2. It says, on the first day of every week, how many weeks? Every week. First day of every week, each of you, how many of us? All of us. So every week, all of us should put something aside and store it up. As, as he, uh, okay, so on the first day of the week, set aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection, collecting when I come. My point, here, here's what Paul's saying. I shouldn't have to try to convince you to give when you come to church. You should come ready to give. You should come to church ready to worship. Amen? You should come to church ready to hear the word. Amen? It's not a shocker. It's going to happen, right? Like we know this isn't like, I love it. Like sometimes I, I, I sit and think like we should, we should change up stuff. We should, we should shake stuff up. It's like really what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to sing and we're going to hear the word and we're going we're gonna to take communion and we're going to receive an offer. Like the elements, we can move them around, but ultimately, you know, every church pretty much same thing, right? We should come ready to give. Let me just say this. I believe we should set aside, make a decision beforehand how much we are going to give percentage-wise. Here's why. Two big reasons. I could go on to this for a long time. I have a whole list, but I'm going to save you time. Two big reasons. One is it protects you from being manipulated. Am I allowed to say that? Can I just be honest about that? It protects you. When you set aside in your heart and you say, you know what? Whatever I receive, was it gross or is it net? I don't care, okay? Really, honestly, can I just be honest? 
I don't care. It's such a side issue. That's such a heart issue. Because here's the deal. This isn't about, here's your choice. Is this about spiritual devotion or mathematical calculations? Well, you tell me which numbers to use. Where's your heart? That's what I'm after. Okay, because really, honestly, when it all boils down, it's like the difference of not that much. It's about your heart. If you're trying to nickel and dime this thing, let's sit down and have a different conversation. It's right and good because when we decide, first thing I want to tell you, it protects you. It stops you from being emotionally led. What did I say at the beginning of this message? Right thinking leads to right feeling. Right thinking about my finances is I set aside a portion to give unto the Lord. I don't let guilt be the cause of my giving. Can I tell you as your pastor, I don't want your guilt money. I don't want you to give because somehow we made you feel, you're like, oh man, he's talking about money and I haven't given the last three weeks. I'm just going to get my whole paycheck. Here we go. There it's just all in there. Now I feel better, sort of, but I'm hungry. Somebody want to take me out to lunch? It's not what, Bible calls us to give joyfully. First thing, it protects us against being manipulated. Secondly, it demonstrates our faith in Jesus. How awesome is that to say, you know, God, I'm going to give. Now, here's, this is my opinion, and here's where I seem like I'm talking out of both sides of my head, and you have to know me well enough to know that I'm not. I believe 10% is a good place to start. So, you know what, I'm going to give 10%. Now, why? why? Because it's doable. And the math is easy. <laughs> Just being honest, this is part of why I think 10% is good. No, I can't give 10% of my income. Fine, what can you give? Secondly, if you can't give 10% of your income because of your lifestyle, maybe you should look at your lifestyle. I love you. It's right and good for us to set aside a portion for our local church. I told you I was going to give you two reasons. The next reason, (laughs) third reason, this is free extra. It demonstrates boldly our faith talked about that, but also it guards us against fear. Because it's an act of faith. It's saying, you know what, God, I'm going to step out in faith. This is what I'm picking now. I'm going to look. I'm going to listen. I'm going to study your word. I'm going to listen to your voice. You tell me the percentage. I'm making a choice. That's what I'm giving. And now, please hear, this says every week, if you get paid every two weeks, it so I literally have friends. This is, this is the weird sides of the road, right? The ditches. I have friends, two things. One, who like divide up their giving and give it every week. Awesome. If that's what you want to do, cool. Like, well, I, I get paid 100 bucks every two weeks. That's sad. I get paid 100 bucks every two weeks, so I give $10, and so I'm going to give $5 this week and $5 next week. And hear me on this. If some of their heart is in a place where it's, that's the way I remind myself that all my money is God's. And, and I've committed to him his request to give 10%. There's also those weird people who do it, though, because they think they have to because this says every week. <laughs> those are the weird ones. The, the other side, I actually have friends who, when they get paid, they're so committed to giving their first to God, they won't spend any of their money until they've tithed. And so when they get paid on Monday on those random weeks, their rent is late because they have to give to God first. Okay? I believe personally that when we make the decision to say, God, I'm giving you 10%, 
That is us giving our first. Whether it gets put in a bucket or done online or whatever, then it doesn't matter. The point is our heart attitude toward God. Again, it's not, it's not about ma- mathematical calculations. It's about spiritual devotion. Amen? Can I two more things? Can I give you two more real fast? These are good ones. These are happy ones. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I just want to read you two more verses. Philippians 4, 19. I actually read this last week. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Giving combats fear. I talked about this. Here's why. It proves that we trust Jesus to provide for us. He's promised to provide all of our needs. That's not tied to you giving. Did you hear me? Any pastor, preacher, evangelist, prophet, usually these people like to call themselves bishops or apostles, that get up and try to tell you that this verse is contingent upon you giving is not reading their Bible properly. Now this verse in its context is talking about giving. But it's saying, look, give because you don't have to worry. God's going to take care of you either way. Do you understand? Giving is an act of, uh, is a declaration of faith that God's going to take care of my needs. Amen? It's also something deeper. Again, I like to push this deeper. Here I'm just pushing this a little bit. This is Luke chapter 12. We're going to read 15 through, uh, through 21. Okay, I have to just give you backstory on this real fast. Jesus is preaching, and a dude comes up to him. And Jesus is preaching about the kingdom. He's healing people, having a good old day. It's awesome. They're having fun. And a dude comes up to him, and literally this is what he says. Tell my brother to give me half of the inheritance. You tell him, Jesus. Jesus, you talk to him. You tell him to give me my money because I want my money. And this is the parable that Jesus tells him. He says, he says to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is desiring that which is somebody else's. I like that song. It's a good one. Uh, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully because he gave to TB. I mean, because no, he produced plentifully. It did already. Why? Because God loved him. Produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and will build larger ones. I'll get another savings account. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's another aspect of giving. Don't have time to go into this. Just let me throw this out to you. That as you give, you are investing eternally. It's a deeper thing there. Something more. When we obey Jesus, we are investing eternally. Do we understand that? As we obey Jesus in what he calls us to do, it is an eternal investment. It's something beyond just the here and now. But be smart with your money. Don't be dumb. 
but realize you're not taking it with you when you go. Security is not found in a padded bank account. Security is found in the fact that Jesus has redeemed our lives and our soul should find rest in him. Stand to our feet. We're going to respond a little bit different this morning. We've chosen as a community, we've said this a lot, communion is a part of our normal gathering. It's, our, it's us being reminded what it is that Jesus accomplished for us in the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. The table is open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. Amen? This morning, here's what I'd like us to do. We, we, just were, we just talked about giving. I don't think we now need to come up and have another message about giving. Right? So here's what I'd like us to do. I would like us to take some time. We're going to go back into worship. And I'd like us to take some time where we are to pray and to seek the Lord. And I'm going to ask us to do something big. I'm going to ask us to ask Jesus to talk to us about our money. I have a weird feeling that maybe for some of us, this is the first time we've ever done this. We talked about giving and setting aside a percentage. And here's what I'm going to actually ask us to do. To pray and begin to ask the Lord, what is the amount that you would ask me to give? Some of you think, there, I don't have enough. There's no way I could give that 10% that you talked about. The cool part about percentages are they're recession-proof. As your income goes down, 10% stays the same, but the amount goes down. This isn't tied to a dollar amount. You understand? That's not what we're asking for. You set aside and say, okay, Lord, this is an area I want to be faithful in. I don't, again, right thinking leads to right feeling. Okay, this isn't something that we're trying to manipulate and be weird about. But you know what? I want to feel right about my money, so I want to think right about my money. It's right and good for us to give to our local church. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go back into worship, and we're going to open up the table for communion this morning. But this is also where we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. We say tithes just because we do. It's habit. It's wrong, but we say it. We're going to receive our offering this morning. And I would encourage you to come, partake of communion, and then give. I would encourage us to take some time, seek the Lord, pray, ask him what it is, and take that first step of faith this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. God, I ask that you would just come, that your word would be delivered to us. God, that as we seek you, God, your voice would be clear to us. Lord, we want to serve you, and you tell us we can't serve you and serve our money. So God, we ask you to teach us how to handle our money. Not to allow our money 
to tell us how we can serve you. And God, I'm aware that for many of us, this is a step of great faith. God, for some of us, this is a first. For some of us, this is new. And God, I'm asking for grace for those to hear you and to respond to you. Holy Spirit, come and have your way.